to the RPC Sermons Podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Roswell Presbyterian Church. It is a joy to be in worship with you this morning. I want to remind you that every Saturday morning here at the church, we're hosting the Roswell Farmer's Market. You can come get your uh, fresh produce. There's a 9 a.m. yoga class. If you have young children, we have a great playground for them to play on. It's a way for us to welcome and host the community for a good time on Saturday mornings this summer. And also want you to mark on your calendars August 14th. Can you believe this? August 14th is our fall kickoff, which just blows my mind. But that's when school's starting up and the program year is going to begin. So we've got some special things up our sleeve for August 14th. So you want to make sure you're here uh, on Sunday for that worship service and that day. Well, today we continue our summer sermon series, Summer of Love. Looking at what does it mean to receive God's love and then let that that let that love flow out of our lives into the lives of others. Remember, tomorrow, uh, it should be a very interesting conversation. Um, uh, we, we talk about the questions and themes of the sermon um, on Facebook Live, and it'll also be on our podcast. We do it from about noon to 1230, calling it Closing the Distance. So you want to maybe want to check that out if you have still remaining questions after the sermon. Well, let's look at some of the opening verses from 1 John. Chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you. That God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we are walking in darkness, we lie and do not do what is true. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we ask that in the next few moments you might be our teacher. That you might teach us about the heart of the Christian faith. Of who you are and who you call us to be. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. What's your favorite icebreaker game? You know, the, the game that you play to break the ice with a group of strangers. What do you do to get them start interacting with one another? What do you do to get them to know each other, to start talking? You could play charades, where you put the names of celebrities in a hat and draw them out. One person impersonates them. You try to guess who it is. Or maybe it's the telephone game. You gather in a circle, you begin with a phrase that makes it around the circle, and then you see how the phrase has been changed by the time it makes it to the end. 
Or you could play my favorite icebreaker game, Two Truths and a Lie. This is a game where each participant shares two things, either about themselves or someone else, that are true. And then they also share a fact that is not true, but appears to be true. And the trick of the game is disguising the, halt, the falsehoods from the true facts. You get to know someone by seeing what is true about them and seeing how they're trying to deceive you into believing a falsehood. You get to know someone. So let me use Lindsay Slocum as an example. I'll give you two truths and a lie. First, Lindsay loves exotic cheeses. She seems like she has a refined palate. That's not, yeah. But let me zag on you here for a sec. Second, Lindsay frequently eats peanut butter out of the jar with a spoon in her office. Some of you are like, I don't, she is from South Carolina. <laughs> Third, she has fewer pairs of shoes than I do. <laughs> now, some of you are thinking to yourself, I should have listened more closely to Lindsay preaching. I should have paid attention to what she ordered at lunch. I should have noticed her shoes. Two truths and a lie. But that's just specific to Lindsay. In today's passage, the scripture says there are two truths and a lie that relate to everyone. There's something you can know about every person that has ever lived. Every person you pass by on the street, every person you bump in into the grocery store, from people on the other side of the street to the other side of the world, from folks who lived 100 years ago to those who will come 100 years after we're gone. There are two truths and a lie that apply to everyone. Truth number one, when it comes to sin, we all have dirty hands. Reinhold Niebuhr, the 20th century public intellectual recognized in 1950 by Time Magazine as the foremost American Protestant theologian, once wrote, the doctrine of original sin is the only empirically verifiable doctrine of the Christian faith. Anyone who is paying attention can look out at the world and agree with Reinhold Niebuhr and the Apostle Paul all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have been born into a world that is broken and we contribute to its continued breaking. We are complicit in sin and disfiguring God's good creation. This is not God's doing, but it arises from humans' misuse of our freedom. Evil, sin, and darkness do not come from God. 
John writes in verse 5, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. How much evil and sin are in God? None at all. Evil breaks into the world through human rebellion and human decision. From Adam and Eve all the way up through me and my children, human beings have a tendency to make a mess of things. I have a vivid memory of the first time this ever hit home. As a young boy, my friends and I, we would go into the forest behind our house and play cops and robbers. One day we ventured a little further than we usually did, and we made it into the forest on the other side of our housing development where I lived. And on the edge of the forest was this motorhome parked there for the winter months. As young boys, we circled this enormous vehicle, admiring the paint job, seeing the reflection of the sun off the tinted windows. And these were big windows. And in an instant, without even thinking, one of the boys picks up a rock and throws it into the window. Goes through the window and tentacle-like cracks begin to spread across the window. Another boy picks up a rock and he heaves it towards the window and it crashes through and the cracks spread. And friends, I'm sorry to say that your pastor and preacher then picked up a rock and threw it into the window. Then another boy picked up a rock and finished the job and the entire window came crashing down. Glass exploded like a firecracker on the ground. We paused and hesitated for a moment, looking at the glass at our feet, and then you know what we did. We ran. <laughs> we swore that we would never say a word to anyone about what we had done. Unsurprisingly, our pact of silence didn't last long. I'm still not sure who spilled our secret, but several days later, my parents questioned me about a vehicle that was vandalized on the edge of the forest. It was owned by an elderly couple on the outskirts of our neighborhood. Humiliated, I confessed that I had participated in the breaking of that window. Furious, my parents made me go to this lovely elder couple and apologize and promise that I would repay to fix the window. And with a $1.50 week allowance, I had plenty of time to think about what I had done. But one of the things I understood in that moment was that it did not matter that I was the third person to throw a rock into the window. I was still culpable of vandalism all at the same time. Just because I added to the cracks that were already there didn't make me any less guilty. 
less in the wrong. And just in the same way, even though it's been spread out over many years, we have all participated in the cracking of creation in our own ways. We all have dirty hands. And through our actions, we confirm Alexander Schultz and Eatson's claim, the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. Just because Adam and Eve maybe threw the first rock doesn't mean we are any less guilty of dis disfiguring creation. We are all culpable. This is the first great truth when it comes to sin. We are all guilty. We all have dirty hands. But that leads us to truth number two. If we confess our sin, God promises to forgive us. Verse 9, if we confess our sin, He who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Whenever I lead the prayer of confession and the assurance of pardon in worship, 1 John 1.9 is my go-to verse. A pastor once advised me when leading the assurance of pardon, he said, don't use your own words. People might confuse it that it's an opinion. Use the words of Scripture that it's God's truth. It's God's claim that if we confess our sins, God promises to forgive us. If we ask for forgiveness, God will give it to us. Notice how this verse reads, if we confess our sins, He who is faithful and just, who does this verse say God is? Faithful and just. God remains faithful even when we are un unfaithful. God loves us even when we fail to love God. God's love is faithful, but it is also just. God is faithful and just. What does that mean? God's faithfulness isn't weak or cheap. God will remain faithful, but that faithfulness is also just. It holds us to account. God is not afraid to call a spade a spade. God tells it like it is. Sin is sin. And God is just. But the good news is there is more grace in God than sin in us. All we have to do is ask for forgiveness. We have to admit we're broken. God, who is the great physician, promises to heal us. But some of us, if we're honest, are just too obstinate to admit we are hurting. Too stubborn to admit we're sick. Some of us are just plain old knuckleheads. We consist, insist on going on in our own way. Back when I was in college, speaking of knuckleheads, I was playing in the Kappa Delta Shamrock Shootout, which is this sorority basketball tournament that was held over St. Patrick's Day weekend. During one of the games, I was running down the sideline and someone passed me the ball. I was wide open and I had taken a shot like this probably thousands of times in my life and so I catch the ball, I'm wide open, so I rise up to shoot the jump shot. It was about three or four inches off the ground, it was amazing. And I release the ball and I come down and I land on my left foot and I feel a pop in it. And I begin to run and it's still hurting and so I throw back a few ibuprofen and continue to play. 
For the next few days around campus, I kind of had like, people were like, why has Jeff got that cool strut? You know, I was just kind of like letting my limp drag my leg behind me. People would ask, Jeff, are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. Okay. Finally, a good friend said, Jeff, you're obviously hurt and you need to go see the doctor. And so he took me. The doctor took an x-ray and said, sure enough, you broke it. And then I needed someone to heal my leg, and so the doctor gave me a cast, some crutches, and instructions on how to nurse my leg back to health. And it was this important moment of realizing that I had to admit I was broken if I was ever going to be healed. I had to admit I was sick before I could be made well. There are two major models of the church. One is that the church is a courtroom. And that we come into church, God the judge sits up there and judges us guilty. Guilty as charged. And one of the unfortunate consequences of this model is sometimes we can tend to find our identity in our sin. And so we are just overcome with shame and guilt in our lives. And so I kind of prefer the second model, that the church is less of a courtroom and more of a hospital. It's a hospital for people with sin-sick souls. We are all meant to come in here for healing. Not meant to judge or condemn, but to help those who are sick be made well. But before we can ever be made well, we must admit that we are sick, that we are broken, and that we are in need of healing. I'm reminded of a friend of mine who found healing through a 12-step program, Alcoholics Anonymous. And he told me, before you ever come to step one, you have to come to step zero. I said, what's step zero? And he said, that this stuff has got to change. And he used a less churchy word than stuff. We all have to come to step zero where we want God to heal us. But this is really hard for us to do. Why? Because even though we have these two great truths, we want to believe the great lie. And what is the great lie? You have two truths and the lie of saying we haven't sinned. Verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We deceive ourselves if we say we have no sin. Now admitting that we have sinned is not saying we are sin all the way down. There are forms of corrupt religion that claim that, but that is not biblical religion. No, the Bible says we were fearfully and wonderfully made. You were made and created in the image of God. God created you out of love. and loves you more than you can possibly know. But we have taken that beauty and corrupted it. The image of God has become disfigured. We do this through acts of hate and bitterness, through lust and envy, pride and greed, anger and gluttony. The thing is, these, these sins, these habits, these vices don't make our lives any better. They strangle the joy and happiness out of our lives. But nevertheless, often we insist that we are without sin. We don't want to admit that we contribute to the pain and misery 
and woe that is in the world. One of the starkest examples I've ever came across of this reality came on January 13th, 1968. The country country singer Johnny Cash recorded a historic concert for inmates at Folsom Prison in California. That night, the place was like a tinderbox. Everything was on edge. And Johnny came out and he kicked off the concert with one of his most famous songs, Folsom Prison Blues. It was named for the very prison he was performing at. The narrator's voice in the song belongs to a prisoner who is looking back on his life, wondering how he got there, how he ended up in prison. And so in the first verse, Johnny sings, I hear the train a coming, it's rolling round the bend, and I ain't seen the sunshine since I don't know when. I'm stuck in Folsom prison, and time keeps dragging on, but that train keeps a rolling on down to San Antonio. And you can hear this character lamenting the situation that he is stuck in prison, and we as the listeners are wondering how did he get there? What did he do wrong? What led to his indictment, to his conviction, stuck there in Folsom Prison? And then in the second verse, Johnny reveals how he got there. And in his deep baritone voice, Cash sings, I shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. Harrowing words. I shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. The interesting thing is, though, in this live performance of the song, in front of all these inmates who are stuck in Folsom prison, when Johnny sings this line, I shot a man in Reno just to watch him die, some muffled clapping. And then at the end of the line, if you listen closely to the recording, he says, I shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. You can hear an inmate in the crowd cheer out, Woohoo! And it is maybe the saddest cheer I've ever heard. This inmate is enthusiastically supporting the decision of the character in the song. Even though he's a prisoner sitting in a room with bars on the windows, surrounded by barbed wire with padlocks on the doors, despite the bland prison food, the limited freedoms, the restricted movement, the numerous other reminders of the severity and length of his sentence, the man cannot hold out his exuberant cheer. When Johnny Cash sings about the sad consequences of killing an innocent person as the song's character hangs his head and cries. This real life inmate at Folsom Prison is living a delusion. He doesn't even recognize what got him there. He doesn't recognize his own sin. He's deluded. He doesn't realize that the way to freedom is to acknowledge sin and turn and go the other direction. And I know we probably have a tough time identifying 
with that man at Folsom Prison. We would never shoot a man just to watch him die, and we definitely would never woohoo about it. But how many of us won't forgive someone just to watch ourselves suffocate in anger? Woohoo! Or we've alienated our loved ones through anger and envy. Woohoo! We've allowed the killing of innocent children through widespread access to military grade weapons. Woohoo! We insist that we don't sin, and therefore we're stuck in it. Woohoo! Don't believe the lie. Rather, rest in the two truths of God. Yes. We have dirty hands, but if we acknowledge them, God promises to forgive us. This is the great truth. The great truths of the Christian Gospel revealed in Jesus Christ. And speaking of lies, there's no way I have more shoes than Lindsay. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for these great truths that we can be honest about our situation, honest about ourselves. But we can also lean into that great fact that you promised to forgive us. Let us not give into the lie, but trust in who you have called us to be, created us to be, and redeemed us to go forward. In your name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.